Welcome to the first Chi Alpha service of the year. I hope you are all excited to be here. There's a lot of wooing. There's not usually this much whooping when I'm preaching. Everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> that's excited. <laughs> I'm just, I'm pumped up. You guys are like, woo. Ah, it's going to be good. Today is my absolute favorite day of the year. Today we get to meet all of our new friends. We get to start the new Chi Alpha year. I'm so excited that you guys are all here tonight because I truly believe that we are getting ready to start the best year in Chi Alpha history. My name is Derek, and I serve as the, Chi, or the director of Chi Alpha. My wife, Taylor, and I have been married for six years. She's in the back. Turn around and give her a wave. Make her feel uncomfortable. Thank you. Great. She didn't like that. But we've been married for six years, and we bleed purple and gold. We both graduated from here, and we've decided to stick around because we believe God is up to something amazing here at UNI. For those of you that are new tonight, I am so grateful that you are here. I know trying something new amidst the craziness, and for those of you that are new students to campus, you had like four billion activities where everyone's throwing free stuff at you and getting you all excited. So you're probably a little bit tired. I'm tired, and I was even a freshman, and I'm tired. So I get it. So thank you for making time to come here tonight. I'm really glad you're here, and I would love the opportunity to meet you after service. My prayer for you tonight is that above all else, you will encounter the love of Jesus. We serve a God that loves you so much, and he has such a plan for your life. I also pray that you'll feel at home tonight that you'll know that you're not only loved by God, but you're also loved by the people in this room. See, I believe your future best friends are all in this room. For all of you returning from last year, I am so glad you're back. You guys are probably sad because summer's over, but I love when summer ends. We get to start the school year. You start homework, and I get all my friends back, so it's a good day for me. Maybe not for you. I'm glad to be back together, though. You guys are truly my favorite people on the planet, so thank you for being back. Many of you are here tonight, and you're at the start of your time in college. I remember my first day of college just like it was yesterday. I'm not that old. It was only seven years ago. And as a freshman, I didn't come to you and I right away. I went to North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. It's a really small school. And as I moved to the new city, moved to the big city lights, I thought it was time to reinvent myself, to be a new man. So I obviously took the obligatory first day of school selfie to send to my mom. That's me. <laughs> That's one handsome man right there. That is a Sherbert shirt, and Taylor won't let me wear it anymore. Anyways, yeah, you can go to the back. You can take that down. And then after I took that picture, <laughs> Alex is a butt. Anyways, Alex is running the slides, and I love Alex. After I took that first day of school selfie, I set out to find out who I was going to be. And as I was on this journey, I had two goals in mind. My first goal was I wanted to become somebody. Specifically, I wanted to become a husband. See, I was that strange freshman who thought if I don't meet my future wife in the first week of college, I am cursed to eternal singlehood. I'll be in a lazy boy playing video games till the day I die. Don't judge me. I was a weird freshman, okay? If you're that freshman, we love you. There's a place for you here, but we'll get that out of you. Anyways, <laughs> so as I started college and I went to my first couple classes, I'd like peruse each class. I'd like sit there and like, is my future wife over there? Is she over there? And I'd like stare at my soulmate in this room. And then I'd see a girl and I'd think she was cute. So I'd walk up to her after class and be like, what's up, baby girl? How you doing? <laughs> That's a complete lie. I am not smooth at all. I'm a pretty awkward person. So what I would actually do is sit on my chair and awkwardly stare at them. And when they start to look at me, like, turn away. Like, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. <laughs> and I'm like, are they still looking? They're not looking. Okay, I can stare again and pray, Jesus, make it be her. It wasn't her. Anyways. So I really wanted to be a husband, which that was just weird. Pray for freshman Derek. He's my least favorite person. But I also wanted to belong somewhere. 
Specifically, I wanted to belong in the big city of Minneapolis. That meant I needed to learn how to be hip and cool. I'm in the big city now. So I got the skinniest jeans. They were like suction cup to my legs. I got the fakest glasses you've ever seen. I've got perfect vision, but I wore glasses because I thought it was cool. And I also got a beanie to wear all the time, even though it was like 85 degrees outside. And I was like sweating profusely underneath it. And like, why am I wearing this? But I want to look cool. So there's a picture. Yep, that's me. If you look up there, you'll see a few peach fuzzes popping out. I was like, what's up? I'm 18. I'm about to hit puberty. You better watch out, ladies. Uh, that's good. We can turn that off as well. Yes, amen. So as you get ready, like I was a few years ago, to start a new season of life, you might be looking to the future and asking yourself, who am I going to be? What's my purpose? We live in a generation that values being famous, becoming someone. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, they've taught us that in order to have value, we need to get our name out there, right? That our value comes from people knowing who we are. So we always ask, well, who am I? As you start your college journey, you're also leaving your former place of belonging. You might be asking, where am I going to fit in? For a lot of you, your high school career was defined by being distant from people because of COVID. This can lead to a sense of displacement, of not knowing who my people are, where I belong. This, on top of the rise of anxiety, mental illness, depression, loneliness, can lead to an extremely disconnected feeling in the most connected generation. As we grapple with these questions of what is my purpose and where do I belong, we also come tonight with our own unique backgrounds. Some of us here grew up in church. If you grew up in church, you most likely fall into one of three camps. Number one, maybe you know exactly what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like you read your Bible, you know what it says front to back, and you're just excited to keep running after Jesus in college. If that's you, that's awesome. Number two, some of you might actually come here as the church kid feeling a deep burden. Maybe you felt this deep burden to be perfect, to be the good church kid. Maybe you felt like God will only love you if you're perfect, that you have an image you have to keep up. Maybe you've always been that good church kid, and if you're honest with yourself, you're kind of exhausted by it. Or maybe third, you grew up in church, you went through the motions, though. Jesus never was actually a big part of your life. Maybe church has been something you did because your parents made you, but you've never really felt intimacy with Jesus. Maybe church, if you're honest, has been a little boring for you. And you're not sure why you're here or if you want to keep doing this Christian thing. Maybe as you look to college, you see an opportunity to find your true self, to explore, to experience the college lifestyle and see what it all has to offer. And maybe you think, I'll get back to Jesus when I get older. Or possibly you're here and you didn't grow up in church at all. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not even sure if he's real. First, I want to say that you are welcome here. No matter what you believe, we love you and we are with you on your journey. Maybe you got drugged here because you got a free Chick-fil-A sandwich and somehow you ended up in this room and you're like, this is all really weird for me. Maybe this environment makes you super uncomfortable. You're like, what's going to happen next? He just showed stupid pictures of himself. What's coming next? And maybe you're like, why are people raising their hands during the music? This never happens. Like, during the first two songs, they're fast. Am I supposed to dance? Do I, like, drop it low or something in the middle of church? This cannot be a church service. They're like, why are they all smiling and giving me 300 fast-paced high fives as you walk in? Why are they excited to see me? And they're like, why is this weird 25-year-old talking to me in a, co in a college lecture room? I'm the weird 25-year-old. Welcome. Glad you're here. See, I get it. This atmosphere might be kind of strange, maybe make you feel a little uncomfortable, and I, I understand that. But I want you to know that no matter what you're feeling coming in, you're welcome here. See, we all come from different backgrounds, but we do have one commonality. You are all at the start of a new school year. 
Some of you, that's your freshman year. Some of you, it's your senior year, and you're like, maybe some of you, it's like your eighth year. You're like, thank God I need to get out of here sometime. We're all asking, what is this year going to look like? For some of you, as you start your college journey, it's not just what's this year going to look like. Maybe you're asking, what are the next four to five years of my life going to look like? No matter where you come from, I want you to know something. See, I believe from the bottom of my heart, whether you're a drug here because of a Chick-fil-A sandwich or you've been excited to get here since you graduated, you are not here by accident. I think God has a plan for your life. Even if you don't believe in God, I know he believes in you. So you can change the world. I believe deep in my bones that everyone in this room can change the world. You'll hear me say that a lot. You might get sick of it and like, fine, I'll go change the world. Just shut up about it. But I truly believe that. I think tonight is a part of that journey. There's a reason you're here. And see, we are not the first people in history to be asking these questions of like, who am I? Where am I going to belong? How do I make something of my life? These questions have been asked for all of time, even going back to the Bible and going back to Jesus. Jesus actually tells a story in the Bible about these two brothers who are both trying to figure out who they are. Throughout Jesus' time on earth, what he would do is he would gather people together and he would tell them stories to illustrate what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. When I say live in the kingdom of God, what I mean is like to live like a Christian, to be a Jesus follower, to live a godly life, to live the way God designed us to. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is getting ready to share another story, and he actually shares this story to two groups of people. The first group of people are like the religious outcasts, the lowest of the religious society. They're the tax collectors and the sinners. These people would have been thought of as very far from God, like the least godly people, and they are represented by the younger brother in our story. The second group of people are actually the super religious people. They would like teach the law to other people. They're known as the Pharisees. They're represented by the older brother in our story. And there's a third character in our story tonight, and that is the father of the two sons, and he actually represents God. Let's start the story in Luke 15. It says this, And he said there, And there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Before we go on, we need to recognize what just happened. This is a big deal. The younger son just did something unimaginable in this time period. Keep in mind, the time period we're in is a patriarchal society, meaning the men were to be respected at all costs. Disrespecting your father was a no-no. And the younger son just told his father, basically, that I don't need you anymore. He basically says, I don't care about this family anymore. I want to go explore a life of my own. And in order to do this, he's like, I need my inheritance now. As you all know, we usually don't get our inheritance until, like, our parents die. They die, we get the inheritance. So by him saying, I want it now, he's practically saying to his father, you would be of more use to me if you were dead. All I want is your things, not you. Can I have them now, please? That's extremely disrespectful, like any time period. That'd be rude to say to your parents now. Back then, it was like suicidal. The father could have kicked him out. He could have beaten him. He could have done worse. He also could have tried to reason with him to like, please, son, I love you. Stay. He doesn't do any of those things. All the father does is he says, okay, son, here's your inheritance. Enjoy. The listeners to Jesus' story would have already been shocked, like, what's going to happen next? So let's keep reading. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he leaves on this journey with his inheritance, and he blows it all. He goes from feasting to famine in literally one verse of the Bible, and now he's rolling around in mud with pigs, wanting to eat what they're eating. 
Let's pray before we continue. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for what you're going to speak to us tonight, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. So I played football my entire life growing up. Yep, that's me. So my most successful year of football was probably my fifth grade tackle football team, which is right there. The team was stacked. We had two twins that were like 6'3", 250, and they were 11 years old. That's not an exaggeration. I saw their weigh-in sheet. Not only was our team stacked, that handsome guy got to live out his dream. I got to be the starting quarterback. Come on, somebody. I thought I had arrived as an 11-year-old. The season goes on, and we're undefeated, and we destroy every team. I'll be honest, I didn't do much because we had this running back who was absolutely terrifying. He was the most athletic 10-year-old I'd ever seen. Side note, he was also the first guy I ever heard swear. It's like in the huddle, he gives it all together. He's like, all right, he's about to drop an F-bomb. Let's do this. And he's like, swears at me. And I'm like terrified, like what's going to happen? But this is kind of cool because I just heard someone say an F-word. Let's go win. Come on. (laughs) Anyways, we get to our last game. And the other team we're playing is really good. Like so good that they shut down that running back. So we need to try something new. It was finally my time to shine. We're going to throw the football. The coach calls the play, and I'm a little nervous, but inside I'm like, I'm about to be a man. I'm going to show him who's boss. I drop back ready to be a hero and throw the ball. Two things happen. First of all, I was crunched. As I threw it, this man-child from the other team like jumps on top of me. I think he was at least seven feet tall. I cried on the field for a long time. I sat there bawling. I still feel some pain sometimes, and I wake up, like, ugh, having nightmares about that. Anyway, so I'm crunched, so that's bad, but something much, much worse happens. As I throw, my pass is intercepted, which means it was caught by the other team. It wasn't just intercepted. It was also brought back for a touchdown. I had ruined my time to shine. I literally had one job, one pass, and I screwed it up royally. My performance was awful. As I lay there wallowing in self-pity, watching the defender run back the touchdown, a few questions start to come to my head. Did I screw up too bad this time? Am I going to get benched and lose my spot? Would I ever get to throw again? And then as I looked off in the distance, I remembered something. I remembered who I was, specifically. I remembered whose son I was. See, I was the coach's kid. (laughs) And because of my father's job, my spot was secure. (laughs) I could not be benched. My mom would kill him if he benched me. I had no reason to worry because I didn't get that position based off of performance or ability. I was slow as dirt, uncoordinated. I did not have a great arm. Can we see the picture one more time? And I had frosted everything, okay? (laughs) Uh... And I liked cosmic brownies, but that's besides the point. (laughs) We can put that away now. And this isn't fair, right? If you were that kid who got passed over by the coach's kid, I'm sorry that happened to you. You were more talented. You'll end up better in the long run. Coach's kids stink. I know, I was one of them. But my position was secure, not because of my performance. No, I got the position simply because of who I was. And in my moment of failure, all I needed to remember was who my dad was. And everything was all good. This is exactly what happens with the younger son in our story. In the younger son's moment of failure, as he's rolling around with the pigs, when he blew all of his money and wasted everything, screwed up more than he ever had in his past, a thought comes to his head, and he remembers who his father is. Then in verse 17 it says, 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he thinks he's gone too far to be welcomed back into the family as like a son. But he's like, my father's got a little bit of cash and he has servants. And those servants aren't rolling around with pigs. So he prepares this little speech he's going to give a speech that admits his wrongdoing and that begs for forgiveness, begs for the right to be a servant. I just picture him talking himself up. He's like in the pig still, like, come on, I got this. Yes, we're going to get dad back on our side. And then he gets up and he starts walking. And we get to Luke 15, 20, and it says this. And he, as in the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, the father doesn't wait for the son to get back to him. No, as soon as the father sees his son, he runs to him. This would have been unheard of in this time. Fathers or patriarchs, they did not run. That wasn't a part of their repertoire. It would make them lose their dignity. But the father didn't care because the son he loves was coming home. So he picks up his robe and he runs and he gives him a big kiss. The son then gets ready for his little speech that he's prepared. And he gets ready to play the one card he has left. He lost everything except his sonship. He was still this guy's son. So he addresses him as such in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. The father doesn't even let him get his cute little speech out. He interrupts him. He says, This is my son and he's returned. He doesn't yell at his son and say, I hope you learned your lesson. You better not do that again. No. He just embraces his son and he forgives him before he says a word. He goes above forgiveness, though. The father welcomes his son back into the family. He does not accept him as a servant, but welcomes him as a son. See, many of us are like the younger brother in this story. We decide at some point in time that we don't need God anymore, that we can do this on our own. We think we can find hope and love, worth, fulfillment, and things besides God. And the younger brother shows us that this is not possible, that happiness from things like our success, money, good grades, sex, it's all conditional. All of it's based on us performing well. We have to measure up in order for those things to fulfill us. We have to do enough. However, we don't always measure up. I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall short. We come short like the younger brother. And that's where the beauty of Jesus comes in, that while we are rolling around with the pigs, Jesus still loves us. Because Jesus is the only one on planet earth who loves us unconditionally. His love for you is not based on your performance. You do not have to earn the love of God. So that means you can't screw up too badly to lose it. Just like the father in our story who loved his son, even though he ran away and lost it all, our father in heaven loves us no matter what we've done. I want you to imagine that you and God are over here. And at some point in your life, you've decided that you don't need God anymore, so you turn and you start walking away. And as you walk away from God, you're throwing junk behind you, like this is my sin, my mistakes, all the bad decisions I made. We're throwing junk behind us, and then we're here. And we come to this moment, and we realize that this junk and these things that we've tried to find fulfillment through, they didn't work. But then we think, well, to get back to God, I'm going to have to 
climb through all this junk and all my sin. I don't have to clean myself up and become the good church person again, and then I can get back to God. But the beauty of this is as we are walking that way, as we are putting junk in between us and God, God is walking step and step behind us. He is walking with us. He's just waiting so we do not have to turn around and run all the way over there. All we need to do is turn, and he's there with an open arm saying, welcome home, my son or daughter. See, we don't have to clean up before we come back to God. All we need to do is say, Jesus, I love you, and he'll welcome us home. God will never leave you. God's arms are never going to shut for you. He's going to be waiting for you until you'll turn around. He's, that's not the only son in our story, though. We also have another son that we read about in verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. The older brother in our story does not want to come join the party. He doesn't want to come celebrate with his father. He's angry and he's sulking. So the father goes out to him. Notice something. Both times the father goes out to his kids. He runs after them. But anyways, the father leaves the party to go to his son to ask him to come celebrate with him. The son declines and then goes on a rant of why he's never going to celebrate. He first goes on to say that he's been a faithful son. I've never failed you, father. I deserve the party. And that gives us a glimpse into the son's heart. He had served his father all those years, yes, but he had served not because he loved his father, but because he wanted to put his father in his debt. He thought, if I serve my dad, then I'll get good things. Often, this is us with God. We go to church. We try to avoid sin. We think, if I just do my best to be godly, I'll be owed something. I think sometimes we think by living a moral life, we are earning our right for God to give us a good life on earth. Timothy Keller writes in his book, Prodigal God, this. In the same way, religious people commonly live very moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control him to put him in a position where they think he owes them. It's the older brother's mentality of thinking he was owed something comes from the incorrect thought that he had to earn his father's love, that his performance dictated the way his father felt about him. However, in doing this, in trying to earn his father's love, he actually pushed himself away from his father and left the party. Keller says, it's not his sins that create the barrier between him and his father. It's the pride he has in his moral record. Pride, like nothing else, pushes away from the heart of Jesus. The key to following God is not performing perfectly. The key is recognizing that we can't perform perfectly and we need a Savior. Not only is it that we do not have to earn God's love, as we learned with the younger brother, we learn from the older brother that we simply cannot earn God's love. We are too sinful. Romans 3.23 is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning we've all messed up. It 
If like the elder brother, this is Tim Keller again, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. See, the moment we meet Jesus is not the moment that we perform perfectly. The moment we meet King Jesus is the moment that we admit that I can't be my own savior. I can't be my own God. The moment we meet Jesus is the moment we say, I can't do this on my own anymore. But the older brother has so much pride in his own moral record that he becomes so judgmental of his younger brother that he simply can't join the party. For many of us who grew up in church, this might have become our story. We do all the right things, but we do them for the wrong reasons. We do the church kid things because we think we have an image to keep up in order for us to be loved. Then we feel crushed every time we don't measure up. See, the elder brother's relationship with his father is not what the father wanted. For the elder brother, their relationship was about performance, about who can give what to who. But the father just wanted to have a relationship with him, just wanted intimacy with him. He didn't want to get anything from him. And God wants the same thing for you. God wants you to follow him and to be with him. Jesus does not want to be your Sunday morning obligation. No, he wants an intimate relationship with you. The heart of Jesus is he wants you to come join his party. So what is the party? The party to us is being in the family of God. John 1, 12 and 13 says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So theoretically, if God created the universe and he kind of runs the show, that makes him the king of the universe, correct? So God is royalty. So by us joining the party or claiming our rights to be a child of God, we're claiming our right to royalty. We're claiming our birthright. I want you to think about the royal family of England. There's a queen, and she has children. Does her son have to do anything in order to be royalty? Does he have to perform well? Does he have to be a good prince? Does he have to be handsome? No. All the son has to do to be royalty is be a son of the ruler. Simply by being born, he became royal. The same is true for us tonight. Simply by being a son or daughter of God, you become royalty. However, God will not force royalty upon us. The father in our story, notice he doesn't force the first son to stay home, nor does he force the second son to join the party. He lets them choose. Just like in the royal family of England, there is some choice. See, one of the grandsons of the queen actually decided he didn't want to be royalty. He didn't want to have a right to the crown, so he renounced his royalty, and he technically kind of left the family. We can renounce our royalty. We can leave the family of God, not by screwing up or sinning too much. No, the only way we can renounce our right to royalty is by saying, I don't need you anymore, God. I can do this on my own. Only by saying, I don't need you, God, can we sacrifice our right to royalty. But if we look to God, if we look to Jesus and humbly say, I need you. I need a savior. I need a king. He will gladly accept us into his family. And he will claim you as prince or princess in the kingdom of God. However, royalty 
does come at a cost. So inheritances, they're split between the kids, right? They each get a share. So when the younger brother got his inheritance early and went and wasted his portion, he made their inheritance like the pot smaller, right? There's less left to go around. So when he's welcomed back into the family, when the father welcomes the younger brother home, he's also giving him back his right to his inheritance. So theoretically, if the inheritance got smaller because the younger brother wasted some of it, but then he gets to come back, the older brother's inheritance gets a lot smaller when his younger brother's welcomed home. See, the grace extended to the younger brother, him being welcomed back into the family, that wasn't free. It cost. It was going to cost the older brother. But the older brother in our story, he's not willing to pay that cost. His inheritance is too important to him. It's too high. But luckily for you and I, we have an older brother who is willing to pay that cost. And his name is Jesus. I want you to all close your eyes. I want you guys to imagine that you are on trial for a crime. You're on trial for a crime that you know you committed. You're guilty. And the rightful punishment for your crime is death. And you sit through the trial knowing you're guilty. And the judge gets his gavel out and knocks. The verdict is in. He says you're guilty on all accounts. And your punishment is death. You're just going to get what you deserve. But then something remarkable happens. I want you to imagine that the judge gets off their judge's seat. They go down from their bench and they walk right in front of you. And they say, you are guilty and you deserve death, but I'm going to pay this penalty for you. They put their hands out and they are cuffed. They are taken away, sentenced to death, paying the penalty that you should have paid. That is exactly what King Jesus did. You can open your eyes. Jesus left the perfection of heaven. See, Jesus was in loving communion with God in a perfect situation. But he leaves that to come to earth, to be born as a poor baby. I think sometimes the Christmas story doesn't mess with us. The God of the universe was born in a smelly manger. He then goes on to live a perfect life because he knew that we couldn't do that. See, we all deserve punishment. We all deserve to pay for our penalties, pay for our sins, because we've screwed up. But Jesus, the only one who never screwed up, who was completely perfect, is the only one to pay a penalty. See, we do things that should separate us from God and not make access to him available anymore. But Jesus bridges the gap by paying our penalty. He pays his penalty by dying cross. And I know a lot of you have heard that before. You've heard of this idea of Jesus dying on a cross. But I want to realize what that is the most gruesome form of death in that time. That he was brutally murdered to pay the penalty for our mistakes. That's how much your God loves you. But and the reason I follow King Jesus is that wasn't the end of the story. See, as Jesus is on a cross dying, he dies, and for three days stays dead. But then he defeats sin, death, hell, and the grave through rising from the dead. And in that moment, in that moment, we won. Because in that moment, our king became a conquering king. He conquered 
death so that we don't have to. Death no longer has the final word. Your mistakes no longer have the final word. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can claim our right to royalty. We can claim our inheritance into the kingdom of God. We can claim our inheritance of eternal life with Jesus. All we have to do is admit that we've messed up and then we can ask God for forgiveness. And if we do that, if you ask God for forgiveness, he will make every sin you had, take, it'll be taken away. The filthiness, the dirtiness of all our mistakes will be washed white as snow. It'll be null and void because of Jesus. And that is your inheritance. You have an opportunity to have forgiveness in the name of King Jesus. That'll lead not only to eternal life, but to life abundantly here on earth. See, following Jesus is not just about getting to heaven someday. No, following Jesus is about living a life here and now that is different from the world around us because we have hope in the name of King Jesus. We have the thing that your generation needs, which is something to live for. And it's all free. See, we don't earn this inheritance. We don't earn the life of royalty. The main idea tonight is that royalty is inherited, not earned. Royalty is inherited. Royalty being, being with King Jesus, it's inherited, not earned. See, seven years ago, I was in the same position as many of you. I was starting my college journey with no idea what was about to happen. I grew up going to church every Sunday and I was the prototypical good church kid. To me, that meant I didn't drink, I didn't cuss, and I didn't have sex before marriage, so then God and I were good. Throughout that season of life, before college, I turned into the older brother. I became so proud in my moral accomplishments. On the other hand, I became so weighed down by the pressure of always measuring up, of always being perfect, of keeping up this image of being a good church kid. In doing this, I kind of built a pedestal for me to stand on, a pedestal for me to stand above other people and to feel better about myself because I was more moral than my friends. That pedestal was my morality or my good behavior, and it made me feel secure. I thought I had to be perfect in order for God to love me. See, God was not my father. God was my dictator. I did all the Jesus things, but I was very, very distant from King Jesus. And then I had my younger brother moment. During my senior year of high school, I got into my first real romantic relationship, and we crossed a ton of sexual boundaries. The pedestal I built to myself and my morality came tumbling down. Now I was met with this reality that I was far from perfect, that I hadn't nor could I earn God's love anymore. And then I came to my first ever Chi Alpha Fall Retreat. Fall Retreat, you'll hear a lot about it soon. It's just a weekend where we go together with all Chi Alpha students and we pursue Jesus. We have a lot of fun. We spend a lot of time worshiping God. And at this retreat, I saw college students running after Jesus. This was when I was a freshman. And see, these college students, they weren't obligated to be there. Their parents didn't make them. My older brother made me go. I'm like, why'd you all come to this thing? See, they weren't there to keep up an image. They were just there because they loved Jesus. See, they knew they weren't perfect. One of them talked about getting high like the night before. They knew they weren't perfect, but they also knew God loved them. They had a personal relationship with Jesus. They let God interact with the same kid who got high the night before, went home and threw away his bong and said, no more of that. My life's devoted to Jesus now. Over the course of that weekend and that next semester, everything changed for me. 
because these people, these college students had a personal relationship with Jesus. He was not an obligation. He was not a burden. He was their king. Over that next semester, I started to realize that I am way more flawed than I could ever imagine. But at the same time, I learned that I was way more loved than I could ever dream. I started to develop a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're here and you've just been doing the church thing, but you don't feel intimate with the Lord, having an actual relationship with God is way less exhausting because I don't feel like I have to earn anything anymore. And it's way more fun. Maybe you're here tonight and you relate to the younger brother. Maybe you feel like you've been running from Jesus. Maybe you thought the key to royalty or the life that you wanted was you're just gonna do whatever you want when you come to college. You're gonna be on the hill every weekend. You're gonna hook up as many people as possible. Maybe you thought that happiness is gonna be through the world around me, but maybe it has or it's going to fall short. If it hasn't yet, it's gonna come up short. I promise you it won't work. And maybe you feel empty. Maybe you're here and you want something more. Jesus is looking at you and he's asking you, will you turn around and look at me? Because the moment you turn to King Jesus, he'll run to you. You have an opportunity to do that tonight. Or maybe you relate more to the older brother in our story. Maybe you've thought your royalty was earned through your own righteousness. That if you work hard enough, you can earn the right to be son or daughter of God. Maybe you've thought royalty is getting things from God. He's telling you that's not what he's about. He's saying, I just want to be with you. Royalty is the presence of God. Royalty is intimacy with God. You do not have to earn his love. He freely gives it to you. Tonight, he wants you to turn from that. He wants to turn, you to turn from pride in being the good church kid to becoming a true disciple of King Jesus. He wants you to turn from a Christianity that is full of striving and burdens to a life of freely following the King. If you'd all stand with me. Chi Alpha 2022-2023. We have an opportunity. We're at the beginning of a new school year. Many of you are at the very beginning of your time in college or your time here at you and I. We can choose to spend your time in college trying to live the college lifestyle, pursuing fulfillment through the things around you, or maybe trying to find fulfillment through your morality, through either doing whatever the heck you want or just through doing things that make you feel like you're a good person now. We can choose to find fulfillment through those things, or we can choose to find fulfillment in the only place it can be found, which is in a relationship with Jesus. Only King Jesus will fulfill you. I promise you that if you give your college time to just doing things for yourself and making yourself happy to go on the hill or doing things that are just seem fun in the moment, you will graduate and you'll look back with a lot of regret. But I also promise you at the same time that if you devote yourself to King Jesus while you're in college and your life to pursuing him and letting these formative years be all about Jesus, I promise you when you look back after you graduate, you'll be so full of happiness. I know because it was me just a few years ago. See, Kai Alpha, we can choose to keep rolling around with the pigs or we can claim our right to royalty. We can claim our birthright. And we can become prince or princess in the kingdom of God. Then we get to answer the questions of who am I? What's my purpose? Where do I belong? We get to answer those questions by saying, I'm a son or daughter of the king and I belong with him then we get to claim our royal inheritance, which is life with Jesus. 
I want to give us an opportunity to respond tonight. So up here in the corners, we'll have some of our leaders. They are our response team. If you, after I finish up, we're going to sing in one more song. If you feel something on your heart that you want to go pray about, there's leaders up there to pray with you. It'll be confidential, but they would love to just pray with you if you want that. So that'll be one way to respond. But there's a couple other ways I want to give us to respond. So if some of you are here and you feel like if you're honest, you've been the younger brother. You've been running from Jesus. And you feel like tonight is your opportunity to turn around. Maybe you felt like you were too dirty. You had to clean up first. That is not from Jesus. He's not asking you to clean up. He's asking you to turn around and look at him. If that's you and you want to turn to Jesus and give your life to him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. You can do that right now. Close your eyes. We don't need anyone looking around. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, if that's you, I'm going to challenge you to raise your hand as a way of symbolically turning around to look to Jesus. So if you want to give your life to Jesus and dedicate it to him, maybe for the first time, maybe you've never had a relationship with him, or maybe you want to rededicate it to him and say you're turning around looking to Jesus, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes, hands going up all around. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for these new members in the kingdom. Thank you for not making us have to earn our way back into your heart, God, but for welcoming us home. In your name, amen. Amen. A second way I want you to respond is if you're here tonight and you relate more to the older brother, and if you maybe you've grown up as the church kid, and if you're honest, you feel like you've been trying to earn your relationship with God or you've had felt this burden to keep up an image, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. So if everyone keep your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a symbolic sign to God saying, God, that is no longer the relationship I want with you. I don't love you and follow you because of the things you can give me, but simply because of who you are. And we want to release the burden of the image of being the good kid. If you want to do that tonight, I'll ask you in the count of three to raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for being such a good king. Thank you for inviting us into the life of the world. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.